Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. We're going to be taking a little break from Thessalonians this morning. Uh, as we get into some passages coming up in Thessalonians uh, regarding resurrection of the second coming, I'd like to revisit some of the basics of faith today in preparation for what's to come. Although, if I have to be honest, mostly we're taking a break because I was over to New Brunswick most of the week for a funeral and just got back a couple days ago. So, um, <laughs> honesty is the best policy. That's why we're taking a break. Um, and we'll get back to Thessalonians next week. So let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Who is Jesus? That sounds like a weird question to ask in church with people who have, for the most part, gone to church their whole lives. But I ask you this not because we here don't know who Jesus is, but because his identity is becoming more and more muddled to people in the world around us. I want to share some numbers with you. There's a group I've referenced before called the Barna Group, and they do surveys in the United States, um, and just general surveys, not just of church, but just they go out into public, they survey everyone, and they get all this data, uh, and, and usually it's used for churches and Christian organizations to kind of keep a pulse on society. Uh, I don't have the numbers for Canada. I wish I did. So these are for the United States. In the United States, about 92% of people believe that Jesus was a real person, a real historical figure. Of those people, about 56% believe that he was God, which I found to be surprising. I imagine those numbers are lower in Canada. The rest believe that he was either a spiritual leader or they're not sure. Now, of that same group of people, the people who believe that Jesus was God, 57% believe that he committed sin, just like we do, while only 31% believed he was without sin and the rest not sure. As well, only 63% of the people who said Jesus was God believe that his sacrifice on the cross is what saves us, with the rest saying either that it's our works following the Ten Commandments or they're not sure. Now, I personally, today, here, know a lot of people who would say that Jesus was just a prophet or that he was a very wise person who taught and led many, but nothing more. I personally know people who would believe that. I also know many who would say they're Christian, but believe that they are saved by their good works or following the Ten Commandments. So these aren't abstract things. There's a lot of people who think these things. And so that's why I want to talk about this question, who is Jesus? Was he a prophet? Was he the Son of God? Was he just a wise man who shared his wisdom with others? Was he a real historical person at all? Was he truly killed? Did he actually die? Did he rise from the dead? In the flesh or just a spiritual apparition? And most of all, are our beliefs regarding the details of all of this, of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, significant to our lives as Christians? Does it matter what we believe? And so these are the kinds of things I want to talk about this morning and kind of rejuvenate our faith a little bit by reminding us of what it is that we truly believe in. Because personally, I believe that Jesus is so much more than just a prophet. And I believe that what he did 
in his time here on earth is paramount to everything that we believe. Not only that, I believe that the way that we live should reflect the way that Jesus lived. The things that we do and say should reflect the things that Jesus did and said because of who he is. So our passage this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We're jumping way ahead in the New Testament this week. Uh, and the last few times I preached, we started this new thing where we all stand uh, as we read Scripture in recognition that this is the inspired Word of God, infallible and useful and beneficial to us for instructing and teaching in our lives. So I'll ask you to stand with me as we read these verses. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than any other name. You can all sit down. Thank you. So this very first verse of Hebrews introduces Jesus immediately as being gloriously superior to what? Everything. Everything prior to this point in history, all of creation, all life, all revelation given from God, the law, the prophets, all of it, he's superior to everything. All past communication or correspondence from God has climaxed in this man, Jesus. He is superior to all of the rest. The central message of this book of Hebrews is that in the new covenant, Jesus, as a superior priest, has offered himself as a superior sacrifice for fallen humanity. So this is the first thing I want us to know about Jesus and who he is, is that God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. In the past, God spoke to us through, us, to us through prophets, which was great, but it was incomplete. He shared small parts of his message and of the gospel throughout history in the form of direct speech, proverbs, prophecy, laws, dreams, visions, guidance, testing, plagues, provisions, and many other forms. But now he has spoken to us through his son Jesus in the flesh, and his message is full and complete. He is the heir of all things. And he was there at the dawn of creation when God spoke the world into existence. Genesis 1, 1 to 3 says this, and I'm going to use NASB. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have the Trinity here, God the Father created the heavens and the earth. God the Spirit is there. He moved over the surface of the water. And God the Son is there as well as the Word of God. 
John 1, 1 to 5 verifies this. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. So Jesus is the Word of God. He was with God in the beginning, and He was God. He is a prophet, yes, but He's so much more than just a prophet. The word prophet comes from the Greek word prophetess, which means one who speaks forth by the inspiration of God, or one who speaks on behalf of God. And what makes Jesus so much different than that is that he's not just carrying a message forth to us from God. He's not just speaking on behalf of God. He's not just a messenger. He is God. God found a way to personally come and make his home among us so that he could be the bearer of his own good news of what he had done and what he was doing. And that is the second thing I want you to know about Jesus and who he was, is that God is with us through his Son. He's present. He's walked among us. God came to us fully God, but also fully a man, a man without sin. His humanity was what Adam's was meant to be. It was what ours was meant to be before the fall. He lived among us. He had friends. He ate. He drank. He slept. He prayed. He was here just like you or I. And if you were fortunate enough to join us as we were watching the Chosen TV series, you really got a picture of that. He was fully God, but you also saw he was one of us as well. We have four Gospels that detail the life and acts of Jesus during his time on earth. And there are other Gospels that exist that while they're not scripture and are mostly heresy, do also verify just by their mere existence that Jesus did live and walk on this earth. And we also have a lot of uh, outside of the Bible documentation through a lot of scholars and early historians such as Josephus, who is a Jewish historian within a century of Jesus, who documented these things and showed and proved that Jesus was a real historical person. He was real. He was here. He lived and he died. If you've never read the Gospels through from start to finish, I do highly recommend it. But most spectacularly of all the things he did during his time here is that he walked among us after his death as a resurrected Savior. He didn't just walk with us before. He walked with us again after he had died and come back from the grave. And that fact is paramount to everything that we believe. Acts 1.3 says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, this is some, some piece here um, around the resurrection is really the, the big stumbling block for a lot of people. And it's easy to understand why, because hearing about someone coming back from the dead is pretty unbelievable. And I've heard a lot of people who would use the term Christian to describe themselves who struggle with that. And again, I understand. I mean, they really like Jesus, and they think he's a great teacher, and, and all the rest makes sense, but they can't get on board with the resurrection. 
But the fact is, without a resurrection, we have nothing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection. So if there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the entire world. The resurrection is paramount to everything we know and believe about Jesus. It's paramount to our faith. Without the resurrection, there isn't a point in being here right now. Now here's a question for you. Why would 12 men who knew Jesus died, they'd seen it, lie and say that Jesus rose from the grave to the point where most of them were tortured and killed for saying so? Would that lie be worth dying for to you? Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, it says that the resurrected Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. Now, at the time that this letter was written, when this letter was sent around and received, most of those people that were referred to were still alive. And they could have been asked about it. It's not like they just said, oh, 500 people saw him and you couldn't check. They could just go and say, hey, did this happen? Because he lists the people. To me, the resurrection is undeniable. After his resurrection, there were seven things that Jesus focuses on or talks about in the Gospels. The first thing, he confirms that he really had risen from the dead. Second, he explained how he had fulfilled the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Third, he gave the Great Commission to preach the Gospel to all the world. Fourth, he promised that power would be sent from the Father in the form of the Holy Spirit to help them with this. He reinstated Peter so that he would feed Jesus' sheep. We talked about that at Easter. He predicted the manner of Peter's death. And then there were a few other ordinary-like conversations, like greetings and general conversations as well. Now, all of those things he did after he had died and come back from the grave and before he had ascended to heaven. So he's so much more than a prophet or teacher. Verse 3 of our passage says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, and He upholds all things by His powerful Word. (coughs) Excuse me. Now I want to talk about that radiance word for a second. He's the radiance of God's glory. That Greek word, uh, there's two ways you can interpret it. You can interpret it as radiance, or you can interpret it as reflection. And my understanding... I'm not exactly a, a super great Greek scholar, uh, but my understanding is that that word cannot always be determined with 100% certainty in Greek. So I, I kind of looked up the definition for both of those, just to make sure we get a full picture here. Uh, if you want to take radiance as the meaning, uh, vividly bright and shining, he is the vividly bright and shining expression of God's glory. Then as a reflection, he is the production of an image, like a mirror. He's mirroring God's glory. 
I think either of those is pretty applicable in this case because of the context. The point is that Jesus is so much like the being of God. He is so much like his person that to understand the nature and behavior of Jesus is to understand the nature and being of God the Father. That is so much more than a prophet. And to think that he also lived with us fully, a man. And it says he also sustains all things. He holds all things by his powerful word because he's the word of God. So Jesus doesn't only embody God's glory. He also reveals this to the universe as he sustains all things and bears them to their appointed end. He holds the world together. And yet, the reason I'm saying that is is to make you think about that a little bit and say Jesus is the one who sustains and holds all things together, and yet he is the one who allowed himself to be not just crucified, but beaten, tortured, and spit upon by people he loved and wanted to save. People who to him are just a fleck of dust in the story of time, and yet whom he loves with a burning passion. And then he rose from the dead to offer forgiveness of sins to those same people. That is overwhelming, incomprehensible love. That's the third thing I want you to know about Jesus, is that God has saved us through his Son. Only God can provide forgiveness of sin, and that is what's being offered. Verse 3 of Hebrews 1 says, When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He cleansed us. He provided purification. The purification of sin was the work of priests through sacrifices at the time. And this comparison of Jesus to the high priest is a very common theme throughout this entire book of Hebrews. And it's another example of how Jesus is superior to everything. He's superior to all the past priests. He's superior to every sacrifice because he is the final sacrifice. The letter of the Hebrews, Jesus' life, And all of history comes to center on him in this moment on the cross. It's the pinnacle of recorded history. So much so that we record all of our times and dates based on the birth of Jesus. B.C. stands for before Christ, and A.D. is short for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. We measure all of our recorded time on this one moment. Now, the scientific community changes the name to BCE, Before Common Era, and CE, Common Era. And a lot of Christians get mad at this for some reason. I think it's hilarious because despite, they they can call it whatever they want, but they're still measuring all of recorded history on this pinnacle that is the name Jesus. They can call it whatever they want. So I find it kind of funny when people get mad at that because it's just... Um, semantics, they're still measuring everything based on the life of Jesus. Now it says that after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He was given the seat after his purification of sin, and because of it, because of his sacrifice, because he lives, because he gave himself up as a worthy, eternal, and final sacrifice, we have salvation. Because of this, he is superior to all. 
and he is the name above all names. You know, we sing many songs and hymns in church, and music's a great way to worship God. And so I want to share with you, I'm not going to sing it, um, mostly because we don't have the tune anyways, but there's an early church hymn, and I mean early church hymn, from Philippians that was sung by the first Christians. It predates most of the New Testament, if not all of the New Testament. This was a hymn sung by many people who had actually seen and heard Jesus with their own eyes, some of whom may have even been there when he was crucified, and some may have seen him resurrected. Now, obviously, it's going from Greek to English, so it doesn't even really feel like it rhymes or anything, um, but I'm going to read these verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the God we serve. That is who Jesus is. That's the truth about Jesus. That's what I believe, and that's what we are to reflect. God himself found a way to speak to us, to be with us in the flesh through Jesus. He saved us from our sin. Jesus humbled himself to the position of a servant and allowed himself to be beaten, spit upon, humiliated, and executed in the most painful embarrassing and humiliating way we could conceive. It was a death strategically designed to prolong suffering and humiliation for the longest amount of time possible. A death designed for the worst of criminals. The God of the universe, blameless and without sin, who created everything, who holds everything together, came to us as a man so that he could suffer this death, born to die. But then he rose again from the dead, and in doing so, he conquered death once and for all. That is the God we serve, and that is the Jesus we believe in. So to conclude this morning, how does one respond to that kind of love? Do we say amen and then leave and go about our business as if it means nothing? Jesus bought our freedom and salvation with his life. How do we respond to that? He left us with this overwhelming, unfathomable love and salvation and hope, but he also left us with a mandate to share that hope with the world. Will we share it or will we keep it to ourselves? Are we scared of offending people with the greatest hope they could ever experience? God promises in Isaiah 55 that his word will not return empty, but will achieve the purposes for which it was sent out. He's sending us out into the world with his hope. Will we go or will we keep it to ourselves? He's calling us. He's bought our salvation with his own blood. And we are free from our sin. <coughs> Excuse me. We've seen God's love. We know who Jesus is. He's spoken to us 
through Jesus, God has spoken to us. He's walked with us in the flesh. He saved us from our sin at the price of his own life. He's called each and every one of us to take that hope into the world, to be that hope, to be salt and light. We are to be just as much a reflection or a radiance of Jesus to those around us as he is a reflection of God the Father to us. That is our calling. We all have spiritual gifts, but this calling and commission is one that we all share together. Let me close with these words from Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you that we know who Jesus is. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through him. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And we're so sorry that it was necessary. We ask that you would be with us and that you would help us to be the radiance of Jesus' glory as much as he is of your glory. Help us to be lights in a broken, sinful, and hurting world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.